grieving. Some families will be lost to one another forever. To those of you who face the difficulties of reconnecting with family and establishing ongoing relationships, we say sorry. We offer this apology in the hope that it will assist your healing and in order to shine a light on a dark period of our nation's history. To those who have fought for the truth to be heard, we hear you now. You're listening to Adopt Perspective, a podcast for anyone affected by adoption. I'm one of your hosts, Joe Sparrow. This podcast is a production of Jigsaw Queensland Post-Adoption Support Service. However, the views expressed are those of the people participating, not necessarily Jigsaw Queensland. The podcast discusses adult themes and listener discretion is advised. Hello and welcome to Adopt Perspective. I'm your host, Joe Sparrow. Today's episode is the second of two featuring a mother and a daughter who are sharing their story with us. Last episode, we spoke to Joyce Westerman about her experience of losing her daughter to adoption. And today we'll speak to Joyce's daughter, Kylie Cameron, about her experience of adoption, reunion, and how their relationship has evolved over the decades since they met. Welcome to Adopt Perspective, Kylie. I am so happy to have you join me today. Yeah, thank you very much, Joe, for having me. Kylie, I've loved speaking to both you and to your mum and learning um, more about your experiences. And today will be really special for our listeners because it gives them the rare opportunity to hear the second side of the coin, so to speak, two sides of a shared experience. Um, Why did you want to share your story? I wanted to share my story because um, it's not something that is open disclosure for most people. Uh, I don't personally know myself, anyone who's been through my experience, as in plenty of people who are adopted, but the, the, the continue of that being actually meeting your mother and, and all the rest of it, I've had plenty of people, because for me, it's open disclosure, I'm very open about it, and they're fascinated. And the amount of things that I get from them is like, oh, I couldn't possibly do that, you know, and they ask me what my experience is like. And I said, well, look, my experience has been quite positive. However, in saying that, everyone's experiences can be different. It's very, you know, emotional, obviously, and you've, you've got to sort out whether that's something that you want. You don't know that until you go through the process. Yeah. So uh, for me, I wanted to share this um, for a positive outlook on, on where adoption comes from because it's not all negative. Um, yeah. Thank you. Um, could you start by sharing with us um, what you know about your birth and your subsequent adoption? Um, I was the era that I was adopted in. Um, there was it was a closed adoption, no information available whatsoever. It was very, very obvious that I was not the biological child of my adoptive parents. Very obvious. Plus, we also grew up in a small town. Um, everyone knew that we were adopted. So if they didn't tell us, someone else was going to. So I don't exactly remember um, when I was told. My adoptive mother said it was about eight. Um, but for as long as I can remember, it's, it's, I've always known that I've mm-hmm. been adopted. Um, it was a closed adoption and no one was to know anything. Um, when I hit teenage years, uh, the way I grew up, was I was brought into a household where both my parents, adoptive parents, worked very busy seven days a week. So I was raised by other people 
helping, you know, mum and dad raise us kids. Coming into teenage years, um, I really bucked the system and just wanted to know where I, I came from because I didn't know anything. Uh, I don't look at all like my adoptive parents. So it was very obvious I was adopted. Had they told it, you? They had, to, they had told us. Apparently they told us at eight, but I don't okay. ever remember being told. Uh, so, you know, kudos to my mum. She made steps to try and help me um, find out some information about my birth parents, my birth mother. Uh, which would have been really hard for her, but she did it. And we, every every avenue she came up against a brick wall. Um, we got the only piece of information we got was from the government of non-identifying information of your biological parents. And it was nothing like my parents, you know. So in hindsight, it probably wasn't a good thing because receiving that information, you have this horrified idea about who your parents are, you know. You're walking down the street and you go, oh, someone about the same height as me and looks a bit like me. Maybe that's who she is, you know. So I had these ideas of who she was, what she looked like. Uh, and then when we got the non-identifying information, it was completely different, which then sets the, the head off in thinking in different ways, you know. Um, so I appreciated her going to that extent, but basically it was dead end. You can't find out anything until you're 18. Uh, I had found an organisation on my own called Jigsaw you guys <laughs> and I had actually put my details down um, but because I wasn't 18 I couldn't receive any information whatsoever um, and that was basically my process yeah was that my adoptive mum did help uh, got non-identifying information which was not correct at all um, so that, that was a roadblock dead end and so then I went through jigsaw and then when I was 20 uh, I got the phone call from Jigsaw saying that my mum was looking for me too and uh, that there was only one piece of information that was missing and I didn't know the rules and regulations that had changed and they told me to, to contact the department asking for my birth name, which I did, and when I got the information, I phoned Jigsaw back and, and told them that, you know, what my birth name was and they just went, well, bingo, we've got a match, then how do you want to do this? And <laughs> it just kind of went from there. Wow. Yeah. I have to say um, for you to put your, well, for you to even be able to find out about Jigsaw, were you still living in regional Queensland at the time? I was, yes. So that is um, that's pretty nasty, like that you not only found them because we we're a similar age and I knew nothing about Jigsaw really until um, the legislation changed and I started seeing things in the paper and stuff. Mm. So for you to have discovered that and then put your name down at 16, mm. That's quite incredible. You obviously yeah. had a very strong drive. Oh, to absolutely. Find her. <laughs> yes, yes. I actually came down to Brisbane. I came down to Brisbane because I knew that that's where she was from, was Brisbane. Mm -hmm. So I came down to Brisbane and it was back in the old days, a matter of searching through um, the white pages back then. Yeah. And that's how I came across Jigsaw, contacted them and got all the informational forms sent out in snail mail and filled them all out, sent them back by snail mail and then you know, received the phone call saying, look, you're too young. Yeah. Uh, we will hold your information until you come of age. So, and it was only two years after that that um, I turned 18 that yeah. I was gotten in contact with, yeah. So now I understood that um, when they did contact you and say, yes, we've got a match, they didn't just like straight away suggest that you hook up, did they? No, um, no. So what happened next? Well, what they did was they, they got me to speak to somebody first mm -hmm. um, and then said, look, how would you like to do this? 
uh, we'll do an exchange of telephone numbers. Are you happy for us to give her your number or do you want her number? And we'll liaise between the two of you and, and we'll figure out what we want to do. Um, but bearing in mind my age at that time, um, she, my biological mother contacted me. So uh, I gave them the authority to give her my number. And at first we spoke on the phone. Yeah. And we, uh, we spoke at great length on the phone yeah. and we then decided that we actually wanted to meet. And so there was a feedback call from Jigsaw. So how did it all go? I said, well, look, we're going to go for a meeting. And they went, well, we want you to come in and speak to us. And there's a video that you had to watch and do some counselling, what to expect, you know, and how you're feeling about all of it. So I really appreciated all that because, like I said, everyone else, like my experience was really positive. It could have gone the other way if I didn't have the proper help and support, but luckily yeah. I did have the proper help and support. So, you know, I think to a certain extent, that's where the, the positiveness came out of all of it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's fantastic that you took um, advantage of all those opportunities. I, I can't recall whether, cause I was 19 when I, it was 1991 when I met my mother and got my information and possibly they offered those kinds of things and I said no or maybe it was so busy by that time because everyone mm. was searching. Um, mm. Maybe they weren't able to do that mm. kind of service back then because it was all volunteer. So, mm. yeah. Well, I made a point of, of taking every opportunity like because the reason I got the forms in the first place was because when I was 16, I actually came down to Brisbane and, and mm. sought Jigsaw out went and saw them, got the forms, did the snail mail, and that's where it all kind of ended. So yeah. when it actually came to fruition that I could meet her or actually speak to her first and then meet her, I wanted to use the full facilities of it because yeah. my experience through any other avenue was not a positive one. So Yeah. Mm. Go 16-year-old you, Kylie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she was a legend. <laughs> My parents probably wouldn't say that, but. <laughs> no, not many teenage parents. Parents of teenagers would say that. Um, I'm just wondering, what were those first phone calls like? You know, the first time you hear your mother's voice. Yeah. And it's it like? really weird. It's really weird because you've got this intimate, innate connection to this person, but you don't. You know, it's hearing, like, it's, that's why I wanted to meet because for me, like, uh, I'm not a big believer in words. I'm a big believer in deeds. You know, you can say whatever you like to me and I go, mm -hmm. let's see you, you know, walk the talk. And because I had received that non-identifying information from the government, it had totally blown, like, I suppose to a certain degree, a little bit of respect for what happened and for my birth parents because I was like, well, wait a sec, if you're both 21, you know, how come you didn't adult up and, and do the right thing? You know, not because I didn't know anything about my adoption. My parents didn't know anything about my adoption. Uh, I've heard stories about my adoption over the years and now that I know that I'm allowed to actually get those records to find out what happened in hospital and the adoption and how about it came to be and all the rest of it, a little bit of me is scared to go down that avenue because you raise believing a certain thing. Um, and I suppose, you know, biological um, adoptive parents go, you know, oh, you were lucky that you came to a good home. She wanted a good home for you. You know, you, you've got all these ideals and 
So you make up this fantasy in your head about who your parents are and then you get the non-identifying information and it's completely different. You go, hmm. Kind of had a, a little bit of lost respect there. Um, mm. Then to speak to her for the first time, um, I was raised in a very non-emotional home. Emotions don't exist. You don't use them. You don't display them. You don't, you, they don't exist. And obviously that's a very emotional time making the contact for the first time with your mum. Mm. And uh, she was very emotional about it all. And I was like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. how come? Why not? What about this? <laughs> you know, so I, I've got to say I probably didn't make it very easy on her. Um, and for me it was like, well, that's great. Um, I'm hearing your words, but I want to see some walk behind the talk which is why we we met and that's where it all changed actually physically see her to clap eyes on her and and to to see the similarities and to know you can look them in the face when you ask them a question and to you feel like you're getting the proper answer Um, but it is it's very you know you're talking to this person on the end of the line and as I've discovered, as is our, our biological family trait, we can talk for hours. So, <laughs> you know, uh, we were on the phone for an awfully long time. Yeah. And uh, it is, it's, it's bizarre. This, this person you've never met before who has a very intimate connection to you, uh, losing a little bit of respect over the whole situation, grilling her, unfortunately for her, um, to how can you speak on the phone for a couple of hours and then decide, okay, well, I want to meet you, you know woman I put her on the spot so yeah but she was happy to do that which is you know for me that was taking away that was resolving some of that loss of respect that I had gotten from the government so yeah yeah um when you say the loss of respect they'd given you different ages hadn't they so they'd sort different of ages it. different occupations different hobbies it's yeah. like whoa well his was very on the spot um but mum's completely different yeah Yeah. completely different so I don't know whether I don't know what the whole reasoning behind that was and I think Um, when we're just given these small bits of facts when we're kids we're kind of left to fill things in and we fill them in in the context of what we know um because I certainly remember with my mother um my adopted mother was 19 when she had her first child she was married and she had her first child at 19 and um, so then when I got my information, my non-identifying information, it said my mother was 18 when she had me. I had in my head thought she would have been a lot younger. It was kind of what I yeah. filled in. Yeah. And so then I was like, well, hang on, my adopted mother was 19. Why couldn't you have kept me in? And so without yeah. having the context and understanding what it was yeah. like then, it yeah. it That's played, right. Yeah. You, you, create, you create this world in your head that you can find acceptable to live with because at that age you don't want to make up a narrative that you can't live with so you create this fantasy that you want to live with and because you you do that at such a young age when you get to an age where you can be reasonable and think about things logically Mm. and you're given different information it just it's like a light bulb just goes off you know it's just like oh wow yeah I remember turning 18 and thinking I'm a baby I was a baby at 18 yeah we can relate to that can't we like you know being 18 and going my god could I imagine having a baby at 18 no I can't you know so yeah so um we heard from your mum about that first meeting in face-to-face meeting Mm. what was that like where did you go how did it go uh we went to the coronation motel on coronation street in the city yeah um 
and we met in the hotel room or in the motel room and yeah that was bizarre I opened the door here's this little woman (laughs) I don't know what I expected (laughs) like um as I found out consequently my biological father's only five four I think or five five and uh yeah she's five foot two and I'm like well I had no chance of being any taller than what I am but (laughs) to, to see someone and that's that's the whole thing is that you want to for me I it's just me there's no one else in the world it's just me in this world and to find a connection with someone else and to finally meet her and see her face to face and go make that connection oh okay I can see the same eyes I can see the same height I can see the same things and um so she came in and we sat on the edge of the bed and she gave me a necklace uh, which was a locket with a love heart in it and um yeah we had this meeting and then we went out for dinner um I can't even remember there was there was a restaurant on the river just on Coronation Drive there we went down for dinner there and at my time at the time my partner he came with and he just kind of sat there dumbfounded watching both of us not sure what to say and I'm like I really would appreciate someone else backing me up here (laughs) you know because for me I'm not an emotional person I wasn't back then not raised with emotions you don't show emotions you don't display them you know and um it was really a little bit disconcerting and um is this person that's gave birth to me I'm looking at her going I can't imagine coming out of your stomach I can't imagine what you must have gone through and and but then to talk to her and we had the basic same kind of conversation that we'd had on the phone as well it was nice to see her face and to listen to the tone of her voice while she was saying it to me so I could watch her body language and listen to the tone and and know that what she was saying to me was was true um because I put so much faith in, in what I'd been told, um, you know, it was, it was, it was really bizarre. It was really out of body experience. Did your reunion have an impact on your relationship with your adoptive family? Did, was there an impact felt? Yes. Yes, there was. Um, my, my adoptive mother was, you know, when I was younger, uh, was really keen to resolve uh, the angst I had about not belonging and wanting to know, you know, also from a medical point of view, you know, you want to know the things that are in your family and all the rest of it. And at the time, she was really quite open for me to do all this. But when it actually came to the crunch where I actually met her, um, because I did the, the journey, I was in Townsville at the time, I had the phone call, I didn't tell them about the phone call because I actually wanted to speak to them face-to-face. I didn't want to do it over a phone call. So I actually, on the journey down to Brisbane to see um, my biological mum, I stopped in and spent a couple of days with them and I broke the news to them. And, and well, she was devastated. She was devastated and yeah. that didn't help it either. Um, she did not take it well to start off with and that went on for many years. <laughs> that went on for many years. and But now you wouldn't know it. Now, like, you know, um, mum, my biological mother's part of the family, you know, like on my 50th birthday, we all got together and had the birthday, my 50th together. Yeah. Which is really weird. Like, it's, this is my 50th, you're hijacking my, my special birthday, you know, <laughs> and here's me, my adoptive parents and my biological mother all celebrating my birthday. And it was the same for Christmas. Like, oh, you know, is, is, is she coming up for Christmas? Come out and we'll all have Christmas together. And, you know, they always ask about her and, uh, 
dad's like you know when he first met her he's like oh wow now I know where you get your good looks from and where you get your, your height from and and it's 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 really nice to yeah. to have them it's no nothing worse it's like being a child of divorce you got two parents against one another you know when when everyone comes to the party and is amicable about it you know more so than civilly but amicable it, yeah. it's it's nice if the reason you do it is to fit to belong to find out where you belong to find out who you belong to and where you know instead of just being on your own all the time and uh but then you spend so many years with someone and they all connect and they all match up and they're all there supportively to to support you so that you really don't feel alone anymore you know you've got this yeah. huge network you never used to have oh, I love it's, that. it's lovely now yeah one thing I've learned about reunions from my own experience over time and from what I've heard from others is that they can ebb and flow. Um, what has your experience been? Oh, yeah, definitely ebb and flow. Yeah. Um, with my experience, whether it was whether it was the fact of being adopted, uh, I'm not sure. I developed later in life uh, after having my second child uh, postnatal depression quite severely. And that has been uh, an influencing factor in our relationship for many years. Um, also to mention that I have difficulties connecting in relationships with people as well. Um, I'm now receiving actually uh, post-adoptive trauma counselling, which is really helping. Okay. Mental health system does not look at the trauma behind the mental health. Yeah. So I can now acknowledge, and I knew this in the back of my head, I have problems connecting with people and holding on to relationships with people. Um, and then having the postnatal depression a lot, a lot on board with that uh, made things very, very difficult. Um, also bearing in mind, I was not raised with emotions. So my relationship with Joyce has, has, has fluctuated and changed over the years. She, it's, it's like this come here, come here, come here, go away, go away, go away thing, you know, like, um, at times when I have struggled with my health and with relationships, she's been there for me and I've accepted that. And then when she gets too close, I back off yeah. and she gets hurt. And this is the relationship that we've had for many, many years. And I will say, you've got to bear with it. You've got to bear with it because if you take those first five, 10 years as the gospel of how the relationship is going to work out, you're probably not going to enjoy the full benefits of it. Because it takes a long time to get to know someone, someone, especially someone who's so intimately connected to you. You are her daughter. She is your mother. You know, you've got to give this a go. And, you know, if, if I was to base what our relationship is now on the first five to 10 years of, of our reunion, we wouldn't be where we are now. Yeah. Um, yeah. And as I say to mum now, you know, like we've acknowledged that we've had our ups and downs. And I go, well, you know what? You missed out in my teenage years. There you go. <laughs> enjoy <laughs> but yeah there's been definitely ebbs and flows uh where she rightly so being a mother now I understand it I didn't understand a lot until I became a mother myself mm -hmm. so I understand her emotions behind it me backing off her backing off she's backed off I want her back I move towards her I back off she moves towards me you know and and then push I push and pull that push and pull. It, yeah. it is definitely. And um, to help, I suppose, connect all the dots, like she felt this, uh, this loyalty to my biological father. 
because I wanted to connect the dots and go, okay, well, I've seen and heard your side of it. I want to know his side now as well. And she had this loyalty that she didn't want to give up his details. And um, her ex, her husband at the time, who's who's not her husband anymore, um, not a man to be trifled with, he went and got the details and he gave them to me. And I was like, right. So I contacted him initially via mail and we we swapped letters for a while and then we agreed to meet. And when we, we, we then met and uh, mum had actually given me some photos of when her and my father were together uh, at the time of me, her getting pregnant with me. And I would put that up against all my other photos I had of me trying to figure out who it was that I looked like. And then once I saw him, I was like, wow, there we go. Uh, I, I probably initially did feel more of a connection because I could see straight away yeah. the likeness, you know, from school photos to him. And then when I actually met him, it was just such a disillusionment, I suppose. It's a terrible thing to say because that's when I I discovered exactly how tall he was. Uh, I was like, well, I had no chance. And his approach to the whole thing was just trite. It was just so trite. And I was not impressed at all with his um, version of what happened. So, um. I kind of left it at that. I went, well, that's great. Thanks for meeting me. Got to, you know, I filled in some of the gaps now, mm-hmm. which was important because hearing her story, again, her version of what he thought, taking that into the meeting with him and then asking him his version and, you know, getting to meet the man and to know the man, you can fill in those blanks and go, yeah, okay, yeah, she went through absolute hell with this. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. I later um, this month, I'm going to be interviewing an academic called um, Dr. Jenny Conrick, who has done some research into when like being adopted and being a mother. And so I'm curious about what your experience was like um, as a mother and if you feel like adoption impacted it. Adoption definitely impacted um, the relationship with my children. Uh, Not necessarily my children but with the preconceived ideas that my partner, um, my husband, their father at the time, had about the whole process, he felt that, well, number one, I had postnatal depression, so that didn't go in my favour. Also, some of the things that happened in my background were not nice, and he knew about these things because I told him. And his reflection on it was that because I had lived through this, that I would consider it acceptable if my children were to go through it, that I would actually encourage um, what happened and to them so that, I, you know, with what happened to me, that I wouldn't put a stop to if that was going to happen to my girls because obviously divorced, <clears throat> moving on to new partners. He felt that, and also the way that I was treated, the way I was raised, that he felt that that was, that was going to be my parenting go-to, that I would treat my own children the same and that I would allow other people to treat my children the way that I was treated and that I would find it acceptable. Uh, and his conclusion on that, um, based with the fact that I had had postnatal depression quite severely and I had had hospitalisations, um, the courts, the family law courts, um, I didn't get any support 
to actually go to court, even though when we split up, um, I was on disability pension because of my mental health problems at the time. And I was in housing commission. I had a friend pay my first two weeks rent. Um, I didn't have like brass razu to my name and he had a lot, a lot of money. And uh, it was very unfair, everything that happened. Um, I didn't receive any funding through legal aid. I received no funding whatsoever. I had no chance to actually even fight for my children. Uh, and he used that to basically take control of the children. And for there on, right up until my youngest was 15, uh, he controlled when our contact was going to happen, how it was going to happen, where it was going to happen, and if I was going to get contact at all because um, legal aid doesn't pay for contravention of orders. So the orders were made uh, by him, which I had to adhere to because I didn't have any money any funding to get my side of it done. Um, so, yeah, I, I, that has affected how I had my relationship with my children because I also, probably being a little bit fair as well, uh, I don't understand the concept of a mother-daughter relationship. Never had a close mum, never had... Uh, a person or a woman that I was actually close to. Um, so having, you know, the children was very important to me because of me being on my own. You know, there's no one else like me in the world. There's no other full sibling like me, you know. And um, so having children was very, very important to me. And I don't think it affected at all my ability to be a mother. If anything, I was probably um, more over the top with losing them than anything else. And then when that came to fruition, that was very, very hurtful. Um, but I don't have a traditional mum relationship with my kids. I say to them, look, I understand that I'm your biological mother. <laughs> However, I've got not because I lost them at the, when they were very young. You know, he took them off me when they were very young. at with your explorations with your adoption experience now um about two three years ago it became very very evident to me um a life pattern of how I behave became very evident um and I wanted to fix that uh because you know I want to at some stage be able to live a fulfilling contented life and I realized that a lot of the situations with relationships started with me because I didn't know how to be close to one or engage in one or keep one. Um, so I really like my comfort zone, love my comfort zone. <laughs> and that's what, how you make mistakes. You know, the sign of insanity is doing the same thing and expecting a different result. And, and you know, I finally realised I'm doing the same thing and, and I'm not getting the outcome that I want. What can I do to change this? So I had a really good, long, hard think about how I wanted my life to look in the future. And I realised I do have a lot of adoption issues, a hell of a lot of adoption issues. Um, and so I made a concerted effort to get closer and find out more information. Um, I have moved to Brisbane so I can have the specialised training, um, not training, the specialised counselling with the post um, adoption trauma um, counselling, mm -hmm. it is completely different to mental health. 
complete that you can't even put them in the same sentence. You know, mental health wants to tell me how that feels. They want to rip that Band-Aid off all the time rather than, and the, 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 the trauma counselling is more, you, we know that this is an issue. We're going to try and teach you how to change. Um, first identify why you do what you do and then change how you do it because it's, from what I have done, I have done a lot of reading, uh, a lot of research. I'm undergoing the counselling at the moment. and you I had read the information many many years ago about babies taken from their mothers and you know like they cry and they cry and someone's supposed to come and hug you they you know no one does that they learn that you know crying and being emotional is not going to get attention so thus they you know bent as a twig so grows a tree so we've got all those synapses that happen in the brain and it and from what I'm learning is that it's all back in the amygdala I think it is um, where you have these like these body cell memories they're not actual memories they're they they're, they're, they're teaching you how to behave so and you're not even realizing it, it's you can't it's not a memory so you've got all these preconceptions all these set in patterns that you do and you don't even realize that you do them you have triggers that you don't even realize that you have and the counseling side of it makes you aware so they are talking the counseling is all about trying to undo that learned behavior um, and recognizing that you have a trigger and and recognizing how to cope with that trigger rather than the comfortable situation that you like to leave yourself in. So I'm going to learn new ways of dealing with people and new ways of coping and uh, new ways of setting up relationship structures and and how I develop them and how I keep them and how, you know, like this whole, what is it, dependency things that you have and just learning to undo all of that and becoming my own person instead of being ruled by a decision that I had no say over that's my big thing these days is choice Um, I'm very 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 adamant and pedantic about being given choice these days because that's where it started well look I wish you all the very best with all of those explorations and I have so enjoyed talking to you and I really appreciate your time today Um, and I know that our listeners are going to appreciate your story as well so Thank you so much for um, joining us today, Kylie. Oh, thank you very much for having me, Joe. And I hope that this helps somebody. That's I'm why sure I'm doing it, to help someone, you know, have a good, have a good experience and a positive experience. And uh, it's nice to be in Brisbane where I have all the support services at my disposal. And, uh, yeah. We're happy to have you here. Yes, thank you very much, Joe. And that's all that we have time for today. Um, We'll pop up some relevant links on the podcast notes page. Meanwhile, do you have a story that you'd like to share with us? If you'd like to be interviewed for the podcast, jump onto the main podcast page of the Jigsaw Queensland website and complete the prospective guest form that you'll find there. And note that Adopt Perspective can be listened to by people all over the world. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Adopt Perspective podcast. If you'd like to find out more, go to the podcast page on www.jigsawqueensland.com and you'll find a wealth of information and resources on the website. If you reside in Queensland, you can reach Jigsaw Queensland's Forced Adoption Support Service on toll-free 1800 210313 or you can call Jigsaw on 07 3358 666. 
If you live in another state of Australia, you can still call the Forced Adoption Support Service number and your call will be answered by the Forced Adoption Support Service in the state that you're calling from. In every other state, Relationships Australia operates this service. A big thank you to Matt Sparrow for composing and recording our original theme music. Until next time, I'm Joe Sparrow saying farewell from Adopt Perspective, a podcast for anyone affected by adoption. Mm-hmm.